You are listening to content from Christ Our Hope Anglican Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. For more information, you can find us on the web at ChristOurHopeAnglican.org. And now, here's today's message. Since the 4th of July happens to fall on a Sunday this year, we are faced with a question that we can sometimes kind of skirt around in the church which is how does the church recognize a holiday that is an important national holiday but is not an explicitly Christian holiday? We know what to do as the world celebrates Christmas and Easter. We don't celebrate as they do, but we know where our eyes should be turned. We know what we should focus on. On Christmas, we look at the marvel of the Incarnation, that there was a light that came into the darkness, that hope came to those who had no hope, that God has united himself with man forever and has sent his son to save us. At Easter, we look at the wonder of Christ's death and resurrection. We look at his atoning sacrifice for our sins. We look at the wonder that he rose victorious over sin and death and hell, and that we proclaim that in him we can have eternal life as well. But on Independence Day... There's no Christian story for us to to look back at and to say, this is what we're going to focus on. This is what we are going to talk about. So what are we going to do? The question's complicated a bit in our present age um, that maybe wasn't quite such a conundrum in, in perhaps prior generations of the church because it has come to be that patriotism, either the, the expression of patriotism or the lack thereof, has become fairly divisive in our country. Both the New York Times and Fox News had headlines this week talking about that. So no matter which side you're on, no matter what perspective you're taking, people are recognizing that symbols that have previously united America instead divide them. And so standing up here before a congregation of people preparing to talk and proclaim from God's word, my initial inclination, because I am a peacemaker at heart, is just to kind of ignore the fact that it's the 4th of July. Clearly, I decided against that, but um, that, was, that was my initial thought, is I'll just I'll dive into the text, I'll spend my time on the Word of God, um, which we will spend time on the Word of God, but I'm just going to ignore the fact that there's a holiday today, because I don't want to make a misstep. I don't want to offend somebody or, or perhaps obscure the message of the gospel. But that path concedes the idea that somehow... Our life here on Sunday morning can be separated from our life elsewhere outside of the church. That you can come to Sunday morning, that you can talk about God, and then go out and perhaps watch some fireworks tonight, um, enjoy a day off tomorrow, and that the two things don't really intersect and have a whole lot to do with one another. Or for some, it, 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 it enforces the lie that We should just not talk about difficult topics at church. We should keep things nice and smooth. But when we do that, we suddenly rule off topics like money and sex and sin and things that are all over in the Bible and even how the nation should behave. All of these things that are spoken of in the Bible and we can't rule these out so to keep things smooth. And so I don't want to give in to either of these lies because they are both insidious, and they worm our ways into our hearts in ways that don't allow the gospel to impact everything that we are as a people. So what to do again? 
Fortunately, in the Anglican Church, the prayer book gives us some guidance. I don't have to refigure everything out from scratch every time we come up to something like this. Um, and so there are some guidance in the way that the prayer book has us handle Independence Day. The first thing to note is that our service is more or less the same as any given week. We don't change colors. We don't change the focus of our, of our celebration. We, don't, um, we are gathered together still, no matter what holiday is going on outside of these walls, to celebrate the work of God, His saving works for us, the way that He has made us into a people. We're not gathered here this morning to celebrate America. We are here to celebrate the one risen Lord, Jesus Christ, and His Father and the Spirit that He has given to us. But neither do we ignore the fact that there's a holiday going on. The first thing that we did a little bit differently was that the collect, that song that I, or the, the prayer that I pray a little bit breathlessly each week after getting through the Gloria, um, and um, was a, different. And it was a prayer that is specifically focused on giving thanks to God for the liberties that we enjoy. And this in itself provides a particular orientation for how we deal with a holiday like this. Is that as Christians, when we gather together, we give thanks to God. We thank Him perhaps for liberties that are afforded to us through, through the work of, of men and women who have protected them. But we give thanks to God. And this is important. And it's something that just is involved in the life of a maturing Christian that we recognize that what we enjoy today, no matter what men and women we look at, is ultimately enjoyed as a because of God's grace to us. We are not somehow a more deserving people that we enjoy the liberties that we have to gather together and worship freely. We are a people whom God has bestowed his kindness upon us, that he has showed us his grace. And at the same time, our prayer that we pray in giving gratitude also reminds us that we pray that everyone who is in this land can enjoy those freedoms equally. And we recognize, of course, that that is not always the case, that there are some who have greater access to justice than others. There are some who do not feel the same sense of liberty that all of us enjoy. And we can recognize that while still giving thanks to what God has done for us and the grace and the freedoms that we enjoy. To give thanks to God does not somehow whitewash the sins of our nation's past. It doesn't cover over the fact that some who are gathered here feel nervous about the future of our country. It doesn't ignore the fact that not everyone feels the same sense of, of pride or connection in our country, but it still recognizes that ultimately we, as the people of God, as we have talked about week after week as we've gone through the series of looking in the Psalms, live by grace. And we look for the threads of grace. We give thanks for what God has done with us. And that includes giving thanks for the, what we enjoy in our nation. The lectionary readings for today also help us to kind of know where to, how to interpret some of this. The lectionary readings are specifically in the Book of Common Prayer for Independence Day. Um, and so there's a separate section for, this is the Anglican Church in North America's book, so there's a section day for American Independence Day. They have a selection of readings. They have some for Canada Day, um, for, for those who are um, our brothers and sisters in, in Canada who use the same prayer book. Um, and when we listen to the readings that were given to us, they're telling us something important about how we should think about this day in particular. Our New Testament reading was from Hebrews. 
So Hebrews chapter 11, and it talked about Abraham and the fact that as he set out and journeyed, that he was ultimately, even though he was looking for God to fulfill the promise of the land that he had given to him, he also knew that he was ultimately looking for a better country, desiring a heavenly country rather than just something that was a physical place that he could be. And there's a sense in which all of us, as we gather together and celebrate our nation or or give thanks for what we've been given in our nation, that we remember that we are ultimately citizens of a heavenly kingdom and that that, above our allegiance to the United States, actually determines who we are when we gather together as the people of God. We remember that we are citizens of a different place. We are sojourners and exiles even as we find and make our home here. And then our Old Testament reading and our gospel reading both help us to know what do we do with the fact that we are sojourners and exiles. The Old Testament reading was from Deuteronomy, and it was written to the people of God who God had taken out of Egypt, and as he placed them in the land of Israel, he reminded them, I redeemed you when you were slaves. You wandered in the wilderness for decades. You had no home, and don't forget that. Don't forget what it's like to have no home. So when people come into your land who are not Israelites, who are not citizens of this land, who don't belong here, you welcome them. And you make sure that they experience justice. That the justice that I have done for you, the redemption that I have offered you, is not something that you hoard for yourself as if it is somehow a resource that is scarce. You give it out freely because you remember your story and what I have done for you. And so as Christians, as we engage a day like today, we also remember that we too look for those who don't feel at home. And we tell them that there's hope of a place where they can truly feel at home. We carry that message forth. And we do so whether we particularly like them or not. Jesus reminds us in the gospel reading that we are called to love our enemies and to pray for those who persecute us. And in a climate where we have begun more and more in this country to see enemies as people within our own borders, people who disagree with us, we remember that we love those who are our enemies, whether they're across the political aisle or whether they're across the world and we're looking at other nations and their perhaps negative influence, we pray for those who persecute us. We lift them up before the Father. And then we come to our psalm. Those of you who have been here for the last few weeks know that this has been the primary text that we've been preaching out of each week as we've been looking at our psalms. And, and today is going to be no different. This is where we're going to spend the bulk of, of the time um, from, in the sermon this morning. And the psalm reminds us that as we gather together today and every day that we gather together, that we gather together for the purpose of praising God. This is what it means to be the people of God, is that when we gather together, we gather to praise God. And our psalm, Psalm 145, specifically reminds us that we gather together to praise God as king. He is king over all creation, He has a kingdom that will last forever and ever. Great is the Lord, most worthy to be praised. There is no end of his greatness. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will give thanks to you. Not just on perhaps one 
holiday of the year. We give thanks to God who is our king. And this changes everything about us because we are then, remember that this is ultimately who our Lord is. God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ and God the Holy Spirit. This is where our ultimate allegiance lies and his kingdom knows no boundaries. It doesn't stop at the Atlantic or the Pacific. It doesn't even stop at the ends of the stratosphere. His kingdom extends over every aspect of creation because he made it all. This is the God and King that we serve. And so we gather together to praise him as the central act of the church. When we gather together, we give thanks and praise the Lord because he is great. We actually um, look in in this psalm, we see again, as we've seen in the past, that we praise him because of what he has done. In verse 4, it talks about, shall praise your works to another. In verse 5, it also says, I will be talking of the glorious splendor of your majesty and all your wondrous works. Verse 6, they shall speak of the might of your marvelous acts. And again, when we talk about this, we're looking primarily back at the salvation history that we all share. We remember every week when we gather together, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We remember that he has saved us, and that is what forms us into a people. Not our national identity. What what forms us into a people is that we are people who have been called by the Lord, by the Good Shepherd, and gathered into a people who are sheltered under his wing because he has saved us from our sin. He has given us citizenship in that heavenly kingdom. He has prepared a place for us that we will be able to live in forever and ever, and we look forward to that eternal life. We also praise him for who he is, by the character, the very nature of God. And look at all of the ways that it talks about this in just this first half of this psalm. Verse 3 says, great is the Lord. Verse 4 talks about, I shall declare your power. Verse 5 says, I'm going to be talking about the glorious splendor of your majesty. Verse 6 again says, I will tell of your greatness. Then verse 7 says, I will remember your abundant goodness. And then I shall proclaim and sing of your righteousness. And um, verse 8 says, the Lord is gracious and merciful, long-suffering, and of great kindness. Verse 9 says, the Lord is loving to everyone, and his mercy is over all his works. This is not a God that we praise just to offer some form of flattery because he's great and powerful and mighty. We praise him because he is good, loving, kind, merciful. This is what leads us to praise God. This is why we look to this king as one in whom we can actually place our hope is because he has saved us. We look at his works and because he is good and great and mighty and powerful and he is worthy of our praise. Great is the Lord and most worthy to be praised. There is no end to his greatness. This is why we gather together as the people of God on this day as all days because it is right and good to give thanks to the Lord our God and to praise him always and everywhere. And we praise him with our entire being, holding nothing back. It's interesting looking in this first half of the psalm again, how many words it uses to talk about the ways that we praise him. So at first it says that one generation shall praise your works to another. 
It's why kids are here and part of our worship and why we send them out is because part of what we do is we pass on the, the truth that we have known of God's saving acts and of his mighty character, and we tell them to our kids. We pass it from one generation to another because this is what makes us into the people of God. This is what gathers us together, and we share that truth. In verse um, 4, it says, I shall declare your power. I'm going to speak it out. Um, In verse 5, it says, I will be talking of the glorious splendor of your majesty. And this phrase that in our um, translation that we're using out of the Um, Psalter in the Book of Common Prayer, where it says, I will be talking. Many other translations, such as the ESV, use the word meditate here. So this one is a a way of, it's in ways, it's a self-talk of, I'm going to be talking to myself. I'm going to be meditating on what God has done. I'm filling not just the words of my mouth, but also my mind with the things that God has done, reminding myself over and over and over of what God has done for me. Um, we have, in verse 6, it says, I'm going to speak of your mighty, mighty acts. I will tell of your greatness, in verse 6. The remembrance of your abundant goodness shall they proclaim. So again, we have an act of internal memory, of looking back and remembering what God has done, and then we have that coming forth in speech again, in proclaiming. They shall sing of your righteousness. We will sing, we will use our, our voices and our ability to make music to praise the God who is worthy It says they shall tell of what God has done. All of these words, over and over again, we see in many different ways, the completeness, the totality of that when we gather together, what we remember is the works of God. And we put all of our being, we use our speech, we use our memories, we use our minds, we dwell upon it. When we're together, we do it when we're apart every day. We think about the things of God and we orient our life to his presence and the fact that he is king and he is good. Verse 10 kind of sums this up and says, All your works praise you, O Lord, and your faithful servants give thanks to you. And all your works here is a reference to the fact that God is the God of creation. Everything praises him. And all of the faithful servants, which uses the same root that I've, I've, we've talked about showing up in our Psalms for the word of hesed. It talks about it's the hesed people. The people who know of the loving kindness of God. The people who know of God's mercy and faithfulness. The people who have entered into covenant relationship with him. These are the people. We are the people who give thanks to God. Then verses 11 through 13 kind of offer a hinge, a a, a, a place where the the psalm slightly changes direction, not entirely, but slightly changes direction. And to understand what's going on here, we have to talk about the Hebrew again. So last week I told you about the fact that the psalm we were reading was an acrostic psalm. So meaning that each line of of the psalm started with a different letter of the Hebrew alphabet. This psalm also happens to be another acrostic psalm. Um, And so each verse is starting with a different letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And the section in verses 11 through 13 are using um, kaf, lamed, and mem. So basically the Hebrew equivalent of K, L, and M. 
um, going through in, in what they're doing here. Now, if you flip that around and have M, L, and K instead of K, L, and M, you have the word for the Hebrew word for king, and the, which also forms the root for kingdom. So right here in the center of this psalm, right where we get to the K, L, and M, the author of the psalm spends three verses talking about the kingdom of God. And so there's a beautiful poetic device here, and it is also hinging upon the fact that he's already introduced God as king in verse 1 and returning here to be looking and talking about the kingdom of God. They speak of the glory of your kingdom and talk of your power, that your power may be known to the children of men, even the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all ages. Now, it's impossible to read the kingdom of God, and if you've read the New Testament, to not think about the fact that the kingdom of God was the primary content of the preaching of Jesus. That when he came, he talked about the kingdom of God over and over and over again. And what becomes clear when you look at both this verse and when you look at the teaching of Jesus is that when we talk about the kingdom of God, we are not talking about some bounded entity. We are talking about something that extends everywhere, that its rule is evident over everything because God is the king of all creation and his power is present everywhere. But it also, when we look at this through the lens of how Jesus talked about it, there's also a sense in which while the power of the kingdom of God is present always and everywhere, there's a sense in which it is especially present to those who recognize and live under his authority. That everywhere that God's authority is evident, the kingdom of God is then proclaimed. The kingdom of God is evident. And so as the people who have been called together to form the people of God... We are to live right now in the present as if we are in the kingdom of God, and we are to remember that that is our primary allegiance. It wasn't Israel that was the primary allegiance. It was the kingdom of God. It wasn't Rome that was the primary allegiance of people when Jesus was walking around. It's the kingdom of God because this is the one who we serve. This is the king whom we serve. And then there's a picture here in the second half of the psalm right after this that gives us a little bit of a picture of what that kingdom looks like. And it turns out, when you look at the second half of the psalm, and this is not, again, surprising when we think of the ministry of Jesus, that the kingdom's filled with a bunch of needy people. The Lord upholds all those who fall and lifts up all those who are bowed down. The eyes of all wait upon you, O Lord, and you give them their food in due season. The people who wait for food in due season are the hungry. The people who need to be lifted up are those who have been crushed or broken down. You open wide your hand and fill all things living with plenteousness. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and merciful in all his works. We remember that we need mercy to go along with the righteousness of God because we cannot walk in righteousness on our own. The Lord is near to all those who call upon him, to all who call upon him faithfully. He will fulfill the desire of those who fear him. 
he will also hear their cry and will help them. The people who are turning to God are the people who recognize their deep need, who cry out to him for fulfillment, who recognize that even in the midst of the many blessings and thanksgivings that we have, we fundamentally lack something if we do not have it at God's hands, if we don't remember that he is the source of our gifts. The Lord preserves all those who love him, but he will destroy all the ungodly. There's this danger for all that we're on the cusp. Are we heading to life or to death? And the question is, are we recognizing God as king? Are we calling upon him? Are we living as members of his kingdom? And what we see in this psalm, in the way that it begins with this movement of praise, remembering what God has done, remembering who he is, and moving to this description of the kingdom that really, above all, is a question of where have you placed your hope? That that which we praise is the same thing that we put our hope in. The things that we praise are the same things that we put our hope in. When we praise men, we tend to put our hope in men. When we look at them as saviors, it draws our eyes away from putting our hope in God. You can see this in a silly way with sports. If you watch and follow sports of any professional teams, like you have the people who really are excited about how their team is going to potentially do really well that year. And they're usually the people who are then crestfallen when something bad happens to the team and they don't succeed. And then you've got the other people who recognize that if they praise their team too much, that they're likely to then be hurt if something doesn't go well. So they just become cynics. And they just talk about the fact that, well, nothing good ever happens to Atlanta sports. They recognize that if they praise too freely, that they'll also put their hope there. And that makes them vulnerable because they have to trust that somebody else is going to fulfill that hope. But with God, we've already seen his character and his works. We praise God with all of our being because he's worthy of putting our hope in. And so, on this day, as we go forth into this day, into the world, as we continue in celebration, I encourage you to continue to give thanks to God. Praise the Lord our God. Give thanks for our nation and what he has given us. And praise the Lord, and put your hope in him, because in him is a place that is worthy of your hope. 
This sermon is an audio ministry from Christ Our Hope Anglican Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. If you are in the area and would like to learn more about how you can worship with us in person or online, please visit us on the web at www.christourhopeanglican.org.